And welcome back for another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We've got Jeremy, Randall, I'm Ronan, and uh, episode number three for us now. And it was interesting here in the last 24 hours as we were kind of getting ready to decide what we wanted to talk about tonight, we had some sort of generic topics, things that were uh, easy to talk about at any point in time. But it's been a really busy baseball in the National League Central, so we've got a lot to to get to. We're going to talk about a couple of major league contracts the Cubs have given out here, Jock Peterson and Cole Stewart. We'll see what they bring to the team for next year. Also a busy day for the St. Louis Cardinals. They bring back Adam Wainwright. He'll be there for his age 39 season with the Cardinals. Uh, but the bigger news coming in just before we go to record this tonight, Nolan Arenado en route from Colorado to the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the best players in baseball now going to the Cardinals. So that changes the division. We'll look at one of Randall's all-time favorites, a Major League Baseball player who is calling it quits here. And then um, responding to some feedback that we got from some fans of the podcast, another bout of random Cubs trivia. And then a little segment here. We don't have a name for it yet. I've got some ideas, but... The co-host Randall's already flipped me off once here in this broadcast, uh, but Randall's got some old box scores and we can decide maybe what we want to call that segment. But for now, we'll, we'll get some good ideas from Randall and then a tribute to a former MLB great before we bring things home. So a lot on the docket for tonight. Jeremy, you're grinning ear to ear right now. You're feeling cocky. I know it. You're a lion eye with a big win tonight. I can just see the cockiness coming off of you this evening. Oh yeah. I feel pretty great. Um, big win, you know, actually I feel a little bit mixed because a you know, big win, big line. I win. Cubs made some moves. I was going on high into the, the line. I feeling good about the future, but that Arenado news that kind of did put a little damper on things. So, but uh, other than that, you know, I guess I gotta say your Hoosiers softened them, softened them up a bit, the Hawkeyes. So we yeah. did, we did, we did, we did take it to them though. 80, 75, big win. Huge win. Love it when we beat Iowa. Entertaining game, despite very the outcome, but a very entertaining game. Good Big Ten basketball. You're not the only cocky one, though, in the group tonight. Randall J. Sanders, a big day for you tomorrow as well. You're kind of breaking ground for us scientifically here. Uh, what's the news for you tomorrow? Uh, I suppose that's true. In the sample size of three individuals on this podcast, I am the first to get the first dose of the COVID vaccine. Uh, wow. tomorrow Saturday and uh, I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to that but I am looking forward to what it will eventually uh, entail and provide so step I, one, we all, step one of that journey news. is tomorrow for me I'm very happy for a third of the podcast to move on to getting vaccinated that's big news and uh, Randall I, I do have a question though are you a look away guy or do you stare that sucker down when they stick I, it I am a look away look away um, look away look away I gotta stare it down man no, I got you. I gotta see when it's going no, in there thank you you tell me when it's about to start I'm going to look away it'll be over real quick and I can go about the rest of my day I'm, okay. I'm with you Randall I I don't know Jeremy it's very odd that you enjoy watching the needle I enjoy it but I like I, I don't I, like to be surprised I like to know what's going on so I need to see that thing going in well, good luck tomorrow, Randall. That's cool, though. It's awesome that you're you're in the first round here of that with this group. And then, Jeremy, you and I here, we've got to battle it out for who's next. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Illinois or Colorado, we'll see who's quicker to get it to us. I got some news for you guys, though. I'm feeling a little bit cocky today, too. And I've got something very important I want to share with you. Today, 
the last Friday of January, I consumed some Vienna beef products here in the Very mile good. high city of Denver today, and it was fantastic. I was in there. I had my Chicago Bulls hat on, repping a team that's just awful. But it was so nice to get a little uh, Vienna beef dog, some uh, Polish, and carry on with my Friday afternoon. So Ronan, I'm, I'm feeling I'm good. Delighted that you were injected with a vaccine for missing <laughs> Chicago cuisine. Um, I will I, say. I hope you get many more rounds of this vaccine because you just need that I beef gravy like hooked up to an IV. Straight in. Yeah, straight into the vein. Straight into the vein. But it is good to see the Vienna beef flag, little uh, hot dog stand here a couple of blocks from the place. It's like the embassy for me. It's a little taste of home. And uh, I also was happy to see they had a vintage shot of Wrigley Field in like 98, 99, juniper bushes in center. Uh, everybody actually in their seats watching the game because there's not a million distractions of other things to do. It was awesome to see that. And good to see some Chicago repped here in Denver. Uh, but let's get into it today. Big move for the Cubs today. They have figured out who the starting left fielder is going to be for next year. Jock Peterson, who has been in the league since 2014 with the Los Angeles Dodgers, a 28-year-old. Uh, Jeremy, this is shocking as much as anything. Just the, given the offseason the Cubs have had up, up to this point, uh, not bringing back Schwarber, getting rid of Caratini, getting rid of Darvish, uh, letting Lester walk, even though we heard he was maybe willing to come back for $3 million or something. Uh, this signals maybe a change in urgency for the Cubs. They go out and they get one of the best left fielders in the market. Well, this is what I thought. This is what I thought they were going to do when they let Schwarber go prior to the Darvish. But when I, when they, when they um, went into the off season, I thought they're going to let Schwarber go use that money elsewhere. Not really, you know, to improve the team, kind of, I, I, but in a smaller sense, but compete still, not tear it down. The Darvish thing threw everything out of whack for me. Like, I, I after that, I was like, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going with this because I, I, it's hard for me to reconcile this with what I thought we were doing because I look at Jock Peterson and he's not – as of right now, as it's reported, I'm, it still remains to be seen how a mutual option is going to play into this, a buyout possibly. But I like this deal better than the Schwarber deal. It's cheaper. You can use some of those savings on maybe getting a couple of starting pitchers I know they're interested in, uh, bounce back candidates. And you look at Jock, he's basically offensively, offensively very similar to Kyle. They're very similar offensive players. But he doesn't strike out as much. He probably hits left-handed pitching a little worse but he probably hits right-handed pitching a little better. But then you look on the field, he's much better defensively. He gives you things that Kyle, I know we all like to kind of praise Kyle's defense because some metrics show him higher, but Kyle still kind of runs around out there. And on the base pass, he gets thrown out. Jock is actually a decent athlete and he could play some center field for you if you need. So he's much better in left field. He's better on the bases. He takes his walks, not quite as good as Kyle does, but, not a huge difference. He strikes out a little bit less than Kyle and they both hit the ball hard and they both hit the ball in the air. So I like it. I think it's a good use of the money that you kind of didn't pay for Kyle. I think it's a good deal. And when this deal came down, I was like, okay, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we're going to kind of compete this year for the division is still up for grabs. Obviously now the Cardinals are the favorites in the division. I don't think there's any dispute to that. Although the trade with Nolan still has to go through because it's, very complicated with all the different pieces to it but i do still think the division is still kind of in play i mean i don't think especially if the cubs make a couple moves i don't think like the cardinals are overwhelming favorites they might be a handful of games 
you know, better than the Cubs or the Brewers now. But uh, I think it's the type of move where, okay, I can kind of see the pieces. I just wish they didn't trade Darvish because then we'd be in this thing for real. So it's one year, seven mil for Peterson. Uh, arbitration for Schwarber was going to be around eight mil. He signed for 10 with the Nationals. Uh, Randall, it, it, it's an interesting move, though, because you're bringing in a legitimate power threat. His, his, his real full season, 2019, where he had his most played appearance, also had his most home runs. This is a big-time power guy. He's been a regular in baseball since 2015 um, and he gets on base at a pretty good clip as well so it's interesting he is kind of that three true outcome type of a player but it doesn't feel like a big step down and maybe it is a step up from Schwarber uh, yeah as as Jeremy pointed out he is, he profiles very similarly to Schwarber um, whatever you felt Schwarber brought to this offense you're probably not going to miss a beat by putting uh, Peterson in there on a regular basis um, as you pointed out he's a legitimate power threat, 36 home runs in 2019. I think we know some things were probably going on with the baseball um, in that year. Prior to that, his career high was 26 with two seasons of 25 after that. So it's probably closer to around where you'd think he'd settle in a full season of plate appearances. But I, I don't mind this move one bit. The money is very reasonable and there's the adage that there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal anyway. Um, he makes, uh, as pointed out, maybe a little more contact than Schwarber, which is something this offense has been missing in recent years, is a little more making contact in certain spots. Um, defensively, he's probably a little more versatile than Schwarber. The Dodgers moved him off of center field uh, a number of years ago to the point where he hasn't played more than 30-some uh, games in center field in three or four seasons now. But you can start him in center field a little bit, and you, if you think he's a better glove than Hap, you can put Hap in left, which I think will make his glove play up a little bit. Um, you can move him around the outfield, which is something you couldn't really do with Schwarber. Um, so I don't, I don't mind this move one bit. I think he adds to the offense whatever you thought they might have lost in Schwarber, and I think he gives you a little more versatility defensively. I think he'll fit into this lineup just fine, and I, I too was very surprised to see that come across the wire this morning but it's good to be pleasantly surprised than uh, negatively surprised. And there's been a lot more of one than the other this off season so far. Yeah. Like I believe on our last pod, I'm oh, sorry. Um, we did talk about a little bit. Of, I think it was our last pod. We talked about spending money and, I, and you said Ronan that, cause I said, there's probably still some guys out there that they'd be looking at. And I was thinking a guy like Jock and you said, well, they need to get a left fielder. And I'm like, yeah, they're definitely going to go out and sign a left fielder. Cause I just couldn't imagine them letting Schwarber go and not bringing in anybody to play left field. They had to have somebody. And it's nice to have something positive to talk about for once, even if it comes on the same day the Cardinals trade for Nolan. Yeah, but it, again, it shows there was a report today from Randall's guy, David Kaplan, that apparently Tom Ricketts has uh, extended or improved the payroll. I don't really know what to make of that. Not a whole lot of context there, but it was just nice to see the Cubs doing something that, that was a bit aggressive because the entire offseason up to this point has been, I mean, the roster has gotten worse from last year. Yes, we all are optimistic that someone like Bryant and Baez, assuming they're both back next year, uh, will have a better season than they had last year. But when you lose Darvish, when you lose Schwarber, you're going in the wrong direction in terms of an offseason. Peterson didn't do a whole lot last year during the regular season. It was very abbreviated for him. He had like less than 150 plate appearances. 
but he's also done really well in the playoffs and he's been in the playoffs multiple years in a row with the Dodgers, a couple of big home runs four driven in last year, make it uh, eight driven in last year in the world series run for the Dodgers. So he brings that in a little bit too. Uh, there are not a lot of guys left on this Cubs team from 2016, but you bring in a guy here who's won. He's won in a big market. And I think that he has nothing to lose by coming to Chicago, having a huge year in what will be his age 29 season. That was the, the word this morning that he uh, saw Wrigley Field as a place where his power numbers would kick up. And if he can put up a big season on a one-year deal, that sets him up nicer for next offseason. And that's sound enough reasoning, and the Cubs hopefully get to benefit from that. And as you said, it was nice to have uh, some positivity around the team for a day. Prior to this, their biggest offseason acquisition had been a broadcaster. So hey, it was, Austin Romine, baby. Like I said, their biggest <laughs> offseason acquisition had been a broadcaster. Uh, so it was nice to have a little positivity around the team for the better part of maybe 12 hours. Yeah. One interesting part of it is, um, I don't know if you guys saw, but he apparently turned down a deal for more money with the White Sox earlier in the offseason. They went out and signed Adam Eaton. He kind of got stuck being held the bag with nothing. And the Cubs Cubs came in there with $7 million and and he, he – or excuse me, yeah, $7 million, right? And he, yeah. and he took it. And uh, personally, I, I like this deal better than Adam Eaton, um, than the Adam Beat deal with the White Sox. I would prefer Jack Peterson. I know Adam Eaton probably had some bigger years in the past, a few years ago, when, but he's a little bit older now. He's had some injuries, hasn't quite shown as much lately. So same money, I'd rather take Jock. And, and I guess the White Sox loss, he didn't accept the deal. His loss, he didn't get as much money as he thought he was going to make uh, as the Cubs game. And do you expect there's more movement coming for the Cubs in the outfield? Uh, they really only have three major leaguers at this point with Hayward, uh, Hap, and now Peterson. And a couple of other pieces, you know, guys like Martini, and there's a couple other sort of fringe guys. But hopefully there's a little – sorry? Philip Irvin. Yeah. From the but Reds. hopefully there's more to come uh, in the outfield because it's it still is thin. I mean – it's all over the field though, as well, the infield as well. There's some concerns about depth there as well with this Cubs team right now. And the good news is maybe we're going to see a little bit more movement from the team because up until this last week with Romine and now the two moves this week, it's been very quiet for the team. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned outfield. I, I, I actually think that they might do something more on the infield. Um, there was obviously a report recently that the Cubs had checked in on Colton Wong, which I think would be a good fit because he's, he handles right-handed pitching. I think he'd be a good, he's a great defender, good platoon guy for Bodie or, or Horner. Um, when it comes to the outfield, in my opinion, let's hypothetically, if Chris Bryant's still on the team, which as of right now, I'm operating under that assumption, but who knows? Uh, you could play Bodie, let's say at third, put Bryant in left um, for left-handed pitching because uh, Jock doesn't hit lefties that well. So I, I think there, I think there are other options. I mean, Philip Irvin, another guy I mentioned, not that he's done much in his career, but he has hit, uh, I believe he's hit, you know, uh, lefties pretty well in his career. So that could be a guy that comes in. Um, actually, one funny thing is the Cubs now currently have I, three of the maybe top five or six guys from the 2015 NL rookie of the year voting and Jock Peterson, Chris Bryant and Matt Duffy. So there's another guy that's there, but um, I, I think they kind of go more on the infield because they have Bodie and Horner and they could kind of push Chris to the outfield if they need be. 
Well, it's going to be interesting to see things play out. It, it's just it, it has felt like a bit of a 180 here in the last 24 hours or so, though, with the Cubs. It's just good to see major league contracts coming in over the last week to 10 days or so. And if there is optimism that payroll is going to be a little bit higher, that is encouraging because there are other things that need to be addressed. I'm not sure the rotation is where it needs to be. We're going to talk about some potential options there in just a minute. Um, but before that, uh, anything else on Peterson? And then we'll take a look here at Cole Stewart. Uh, no, other than I guess his dad played a little bit in the bigs, but uh, I don't know. I, I've always kind of liked Jack. He, uh, he seems like an interesting guy. And there's actually a cool video of him uh, going to the, like the, I believe it's the Louisville Slugger factory in Louisville and checking out, picking out the bats. And it's actually pretty amazing, really, at the Louisville, Louisville Slugger factory, like how incredible that place is. So if you ever want to watch that, <laughs> it's kind of cool seeing him pick out different bats. They even have his dad's bat they brought him in because apparently they keep track of every Major League Baseball player's bat that ordered from them, So they know everybody. Unbelievable. Yeah. Cool spot, though. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, he, he's been an interesting player. He's been on really good teams in L.A. and big time power threats. So you could see this going really well if he can stay healthy, if he's in the lineup and wins blown out at Wrigley. He's got the opportunity to hit a lot of balls out into the bleachers and he's got some big shoes to fill. Schwarber's a World Series hero with the Cubs, a big time fan favorite. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, if Peterson can come in and knock it off to too slow, I mean, not that there's going to be fans in the ballpark at the very beginning of the year, but if he can get the back going, he'll quickly become a favorite at Wrigley Field and hopefully hit a bunch of home runs and give him a chance in a pretty bad division. So the other move the Cubs made here in the last week was a major league contract for 26-year-old Cole Stewart. He's a former fourth overall pick nearly a decade ago now and has been up and down between the majors, a little bit of time as a starter, a little bit as a reliever as well. Not a whole lot here in terms of money, 700000 uh, but a major league contract for Cole Stewart and certainly an opportunity for him to break into either the Cubs starting rotation or the bullpen on opening day. Yeah, he, I, I expect that he'll start in Iowa just because he still has options. So they can send him down, and I expect he'll probably be, unless he breaks out in spring training, but just a guy they kind of have a depth piece, you know, um, for throughout the year, keep him, uh, you know, fleshed out for five, six innings. But you never know when you get a guy like that. He was originally going to be, or excuse me, he was signed to play football for uh, Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. He was like a four-star quarterback, uh, big recruit. Could have went in there when Johnny Manziel and Kyle, Kyler Murray and some other guys were out for there, Kyle, Kyle Allen. Um, but uh, chose baseball, went to the Twins. Uh, it, but it's difficult. You know, he's never really had much success. He's always uh, had the pedigree, but it hasn't really followed him in terms of production. And I, I feel like he's similar to kind of Shelby Miller, and then there's going to be some other guys the Cubs clearly are going to take chances on um, to bring in that have more of a big league pedigree, but maybe haven't done it in the last couple of years. But, you know, you, you lose guys like Colin Ray to Japan and you only have really like Tyson Miller type guys. So you need to build out that depth no matter what, even if you're going to bring in more pitchers, you got to have guys if anybody goes down in Iowa coming back up. So I, I feel like Cole Stewart are thin there, though I was surprised to see him get a major league deal. His first pro season 2013 got up to AAA by 2017, 
made his major league debut for the Twins in 2018 in just eight games, four starts, four in relief. In 2019, he spent about two-thirds of the year in AAA for Minnesota, had nine games, including two starts in the majors. But we didn't see him at all last year. He uh, decided to opt out the season, a type 1 diabetic. So in that at-risk category, there was no reason for him to risk things with COVID. But that also leaves a little bit of a question mark that we really haven't seen him since 2019. And it'll be interesting to see what the Cubs saw there that one warranted a major league contract and two, there are some sort of compelling things in his repertoire. He's a big time sinker ball pitcher. Sinker ball is not a popular pitch these days in major league baseball. It's declined in popularity over the last couple of years, but he throws it a lot and that leads to a lot of ground balls. And you could see that being compelling at Wrigley field. Yeah. Um, Randall, do you have something you want to say? Yeah, the Cubs, of course, have put a lot of uh, time and money and effort into overhauling their pitching infrastructure in the last few seasons. And I think we knew uh, the way this offseason was going, there were going to be no end of guys where that pitching infrastructure was looked at whatever most recent tape they had. Of course, you don't necessarily have recent tape on a lot of guys, either from alternate training sites or major league innings last year. Uh, and they're, they're – opportunity to potentially identify something that they saw they could work with and you figure that's what they see in Cole Stewart they see something with the sinker that they believe they can uh, improve and play up and they're going to try and put the pitching infrastructure to uh, to good work so hopefully they are able to kind of pull that out of him and maybe you do get a productive ground ball heavy arm for very little and I think we knew that was going to be the case with a lot of signings where you're you're banking on your infrastructure and your development getting more out of a guy than he had shown previously. Yeah. And I just want to mention, I think he was in camp with Baltimore last year. So he had yep. moved on a bit from Minnesota. So they, they let him go. And I think he elected free agency um, after they outrighted him. So it wasn't like Minnesota in 20, after the end of 2019 was necessarily keen on keeping him around. He latched down with Baltimore COVID hit, he opted out. Um, so he, he, it's been a little while since he's actually, as you mentioned, but it's been a little while since there was really like a team that kind of yeah. was kind of trying to keep him around. So it'll be interesting. Uh, it's just, another, to me, it's another arm to go to camp, bring as many guys as you can that have a little bit of pedigree, see what you can figure out. Some guys will hit, some guys won't. So I, I just expect him to start in Iowa. Yeah. And, and it's worth a shot, certainly. I mean, at this case, the, the Cubs have opportunities for guys to come in and make an impact. And uh, the thing with him is he's not going to be a huge strikeout guy. It's really never been a major part of his career. Uh, but hopefully he can get things figured out. If the sinker's working for him and he gets ground balls, that's going to play at Wrigley, where it, the kind of the downside to what he offers is there's a lot of contact there. So if guys are hitting it, that's the downside to what he brings to the table. But he's only 26 years old. He's got a ton of upside still in front of him. And if it doesn't work out, you, you haven't really lost anything here either. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, I, we're going to talk. I don't know if you want to go into it now, but we're going to talk so. about some Yeah. Some other pitchers at the Cubs, you know, there's talk of a Jake Arrieta going to his, um, you know, showcase. Uh, Jeff Samarja re reuniting with all these Cubs, possibly. Chris Archer, another former Cubs farmhand. Uh, Carlos Rodon, Chicago guy, White Sox. And then even Mike Fultonewicz, who's also from the state of Illinois, Manuka. So it's interesting. All these guys have connections. but uh, And a few other names. But, you know, I, I think the Cubs, they need – 
pitching help. That is right now. If you actually look at their offense and their uh, the way their offense projects, their offense projects prior to the Cardinals uh, training for Nolan, but their offense projects to be the best in the NL, their position players. And it's not even that close, but their pitching projects, excuse me, NL central, I should say pitching projects horribly like Pittsburgh pirates levels, horrible. You look at Hendricks and then Zach Davies, who is the only other really major league starter they have, but I would say to me is more of a back end starter. And after that, that's pretty much three holes. I know Mills and Azale are probably the guys in the spot, but they need some sort of pitching if they want to compete at all. And right now it looks like they're looking at guys that are kind of, you know, on the down end of their careers, but hoping maybe they have something. So it's hard for me to kind of judge them just because, you know, I'm not going to get a chance to, you know, scout them and see them. So I'm just banking on whoever the Cubs pick or feel like is in their uh, monetary category because Corey Kluber went for 11 million. Um, just hoping that those are the right guys. It would be fun to see Ariadne Samarja or Chris Archer back, but you know, they need somebody and they need maybe probably two of them and they need them to be good. They can't have these guys stink. They need somebody to break out, compete. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, it seems more and more likely that we're going to get a full season as well. So you can't get away with having fewer pitchers like in a 60 game schedule. If we're going a full 162 or something close to it, they need more arms. And it is right to go out and look at taking flyers on guys, guys that have had some success at the major league level. Maybe they're coming back from injuries. Maybe they're just trying to get one more nice year to, to sign another contract but there are some names here that I don't think are going to be a good fit. And it starts with Jake Arrieta. I love everything that that guy did in a Cubs uniform. It was phenomenal. You talk about one of the best trades in Cubs history, bringing him, him and Strope. And when Jake Arrieta was on, particularly that second half of 2015, it's some of the best pitching you will ever see in baseball. He would take the mound with absolute confidence that he was going to win. And he did just that, just like the wild card game in Pittsburgh. Uh, the day before the game or two days before the game when that Pirates fan was like, I hope you're ready for the blackout or whatever the hell they were doing at PNC Park. And he replied, he put it on Twitter before the game, like, it doesn't matter what you think, we're going to win this ball game. It's essentially what he said. I know Randall's got the official tweet probably memorized, but I love that confidence and that swagger from Jake. Bottom line, though, 2021 Jake is not 2015 Jake. The fastball velocity is down nearly four miles per hour. The exit velocity last year up almost four miles per hour from when he was at his peak. What I don't want to see is a bad Jake Arrieta on a mediocre Cubs team at Wrigley Field. I don't want that image in my head. We don't need that. Um, if he shows something in these workouts, awesome. But I'm very skeptical. It seems like the best is way behind Jake, and I'm not sure that he's able to contribute to a big league rotation or the Cubs' big league rotation next year. Uh, uh, by the way, the the poor individual whose uh, life Jake ended that night was a Pirates parrot parody account. Uh, everything about that. Say that three would, times fast. Yeah, everything Pirates about parody. that got everything about that got what it deserved. So another, another uh, victory in Jake's career, uh, as you said, I don't think there's a whole lot left to Arietta at this point, any value to bring him back would be almost entirely nostalgic uh, and, and seeing a, a former Cubs hero back in uniform, as you pointed out, the numbers have not been kind to him the last few years. And it's funny because prior to the 2018 season, the debate was, do you pay to keep Arietta? Or do you put that money into you, Darvish? And I remember the Cubs being criticized to a degree in for putting that money into you, Darvish, instead of maintaining Arietta. And 
even more so in that 2018 season where Darvish was injured halfway through and Arietta was still pretty good for, uh, for an emerging Phillies team. Uh, and then it obviously it, uh, it took a turn from there. Uh, but I, I don't think there'd be a whole lot of baseball value to reuniting with Arietta at this point. Yeah, it's tough because all of these guys that, you know, the Cubs are rumored to be looking at are all guys that are kind of coming off some issue. Chris Archer, you know, didn't pitch last year. He had um, surgery uh, and he missed the season. I'm not sure how well he's going to be coming off surgery. Um, I actually kind of like Chris Archer. I know he's struggled a little bit, but he seems like one type of one guy. If he's healthy, you know, he's going to rack up some strikeouts. He's going to. So I, I feel like he might be kind of fixable. There might be some things in there, but uh, who knows? Uh, Jeff Samarja, when he had been last healthy, he had been showing great control, but he had gotten some strikeouts, but it wasn't he kind of drifted off a little bit and he wasn't quite kind of getting the results that kind of come with those numbers. So it, it's difficult. Um, I, I, you got to put your faith, I guess, in the Cubs scouts, the Cubs, uh, Jed Hoyer for whoever they sign. We'll see who they sign, but they need pitching. That is by far their biggest hole. They want to compete. They need to get pitching somewhere. So they got to get somebody in there that's going to help them. And so they need a hit on this. I, I, I can only say so much about, their rotation as it is currently like you're banking on Alec Mills and Albert Al- Alzali for two of those rotation spots plus an open spot. So like, yeah. and that's having Zach Davies, as I said, your number two starter. So I, I you mentioned talking about, you know, what are they going to do in the outfield? What are they going to do? And maybe possibly in the infield. I'm, I'm okay with their positional players. Like I said, you can add a little, but their positional players can compete. I, I have faith in those guys competing. I don't know what you're going to do with this pitching staff because you, you need something there and trading Darvish, it just opened up this huge hole. Um, you know, I, I'm not sad seeing Lester go, I, but they need somebody in there that's going to compete at it. Otherwise they're definitely not going to compete for the division. Although, like I said, the division's bad. So who knows? Maybe yeah. you can get away with Zach Davies and- here too. And we'll get to the Cardinals here in a minute with the the flurry of moves that they've made in the last 24 hours. There are some other names just out there. I'm just looking at the Major League Baseball free agents, starting pitchers. Randall's guy, Dick Mountain, Rich Hill, 41 year old, a free agent right now. Uh, the old old another old man, Cole Hamels, uh, out in free agency. There there are some guys, and there are going to be guys. It's been a very slow off season, as has been the case the last couple of years. But it's it's something where I'd love to get a clearer sense of what the payroll is going to be for next year, because that would give us a little bit more clarity on how aggressive the Cubs can actually be with some of the arms that are still available. Um, What is the opening day payroll supposed to be? What does that mean for someone like Chris Bryant, uh, someone like Wilson Contreras? Are they in the plans for next year? Because they've got some hitters, like you're saying, Jeremy, but pitching is the obvious glaring hole right now. Yeah. I mean, if they actually had some money to go spend on pitching, they could, you know, put themselves, I mean, I, I would want them to be in the competition for maybe like a real free agent, like James Paxton or something, somebody who could actually help them with the pitches. Obviously they're not going to spend on Bauer, you know, that'd be way too crazy, but um, you know, somebody, I mean, you look like you mentioned you, all the names that are out there. Um, I, I don't mind Cole Hamels. I know he was hurt last year, but if he was healthy, he, 
when he was been healthy the last couple of years, he's been fine. Uh, we brought up Carlos Rodon. I think Rodon also is another interesting piece because he's had some injuries, but he's still young. He's not, I don't think he's on the downside of his career. I think there can still be some things they, they do with him. And so a guy I like is Jake Odorizzi, but I see him getting way too much money for the, from a team like the Cubs. So I don't know. Um, but they need, there's, there's a lot of names out there. There's a lot of big names out there from that have been successful in the past. There's a lot of guys out there you could try to get in there. So I expect them to sign a couple of pitchers, name pitchers that people know that they're going to try to hope to fix somehow for this season. We'll see what direction they go in just a couple of weeks out now from the start of spring training, uh, assuming that that begins on time. Uh, obviously, they don't need as many weeks as they have for spring training, especially if they're not going to be fans in the ballpark for those games. But everything at this point indicates that we're going to see a full season of 162 and we'll keep eyes on what the Cubs are doing with that starting rotation, but a little bit of movement, a couple of major league contracts this week, Jack Peterson for the outfield, Cole Stewart between the starting rotation of the bullpen. And then they're looking at guys like Jake Arrieta, uh, Jeff Samarja, all these names that you were just mentioning there, Jeremy, we'll see what they do on that. Let's talk about the Cardinals, though, that nasty, gross team down in Missouri that has actually had a really good day. Uh, we'll start with the smaller news for them. They bring back their veteran right-hander, Adam Wainwright. He goes into his 39th year uh, uh, season, I guess, it's age 39 season. So that's quite feels a like he's been in the league for that long. He's been with the Cardinals since 2005, but he gets one year, eight million to go back to St. Louis, and uh, that helps solidify their starting rotation. He's not the same pitcher he was a couple of years ago, but this is still a guy who's had multiple top three finishes for the Cy Young Award. He's pitched well in the postseason. He's got a ton of postseason experience, and he's just kind of one of those guys that he's been with the Cardinals forever. He's been a very competent good major league baseball pitcher and he now goes back trying to win a division title and what may be his last season in major league baseball yeah and i expect him to shut down the cubs no matter what happens uh you know just throwing that curveball time and time again and nobody can hit it he'd be 50 years old and they'll bring him out you know for three starts a year against the cubs or something he'll, he'll um, pick up a knuckleball and yeah. keep confounding the cubs that way but uh, I, I think he's, you know, it's good to bring him back if you're a Cardinal fan. You put him at the end of the rotation. I think I, I think he's still, or middle rotation, I think he still can be a useful pitcher. Um, and they're probably going to bring back Yachty. Um, the rumors are that he's finalizing a deal. He's playing in the Caribbean Series, Puerto Rico. And there's rumors that it'd be a lot easier. He really wants to play in that. And he'll probably sign after um, that's over because being a member of the Cardinals and on a major league, part of a major league organization it's not as easy to go then go play in the Caribbean series representing your, your home country. So, um, but Yachty will probably be back. So he'll be back for a while, but then you go to the big news. I, 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 I don't know how much Randall wants to talk about Adam Rainwright if you want to go on there, but I, I think the big news with Nolan Arenado, that's a team that's actually making a move and uh, nobody else in the uh, NL central is there are some rumors about the Brewers possibly being involved with the other players, but they haven't done anything. Cubs did jock, but Arenado, that's a huge move. And it's a very complicated trade. Uh, who knows if it'll even get done, you know, I expect it to get done, but you know, with all the complications, I'm still kind of hoping as a Cubs fan that maybe something comes up because MLB has to approve it with all the money going through MLB PA has to approve it with the rumored fact that uh, Arenado is going to have his contract changed with a new opt-out possibly. And we'll see what the prospects and, you know, Arenado has to waive his no trade. 
So, but that's a huge move. Like the Cardinals are getting a real third baseman, a very good third baseman. He had a little bit of a struggle last year, but that puts them as the clear favorites in my mind in the NL central. And they are definitely the one they're not, I don't, like I said, I don't think they're overwhelming favorites. I think the Cubs, even as presently could, you know, possibly win a division. I think the Brewers probably the second best team in the division, you know, who knows where the Reds are doing, but, but Cardinals definitely the favorites. Uh, yeah, as you pointed out, there's a lot of moving pieces in this deal. We can maybe hope that David Stern puts the, uh, the old Chris Paul on this deal. Um, but again, the Cardinals seem to have gotten a, a great player in his prime, and they seem to have gotten him for nothing. The, the list of prospects uh, supposedly going back the other way, and I understand it's not finalized, but just to read off some of the names to you, supposedly going back to St. Louis in this deal, a deal in which the Cardinals are also getting $50 million in cash to cover uh, part of Arenado's contract. Some of the names, uh, left-handed pitcher Austin Gomber, first baseman Lucan Baker, outfielder John Torres, and potentially one or two other uh, right-handed pitchers, either Jake Woodford or Angel Rondon, uh, as being reported by Ken Rosenthal at this hour. These are not top prospect names. Uh, there's one major leaguer on that list, and that, of course, is Austin Gomber, and he's a little more of a fringe guy. Going to Coors is certainly not going to help him. The rest of these guys are not top 10 prospects, and it, it's amazing. Amazing is the word we'll use for now. It's amazing how the Cardinals seem to keep getting all-stars in exchange for sending very little back in return. And it just seems to happen every two or three years like clockwork. And you just wonder who they're going to get in uh, the 2023, 2024 off season at this point. Well, I, I will like to say, first of all, that I won't suffer for any Luke and Baker hate, uh, hate because Luke and Baker was a beast at TCU. So Randall, you know, I'm sure he's one there. of the top three or four Lucans <laughs> in organized baseball. That's true. But, um, but, you know, I, I would hold off a little bit just because like you said, none of these names are finalized yet. I don't expect, you know, I don't expect the, Rockies to get any major names or anything but you know we don't know who or what is actually going through so I, I, I expect some of those names to be a yes some of those names to be a no um it's a complicated deal because Arenado had to opt out so you don't know like Arenado is a hard guy to try to trade for uh, you know the pandemic but he can opt out at the end of this year or you're stuck with five years 165 million dollars so it's like how do you value that if he and if if he's good he's gone if he's not good he stays so like you're either stuck overpaying for a guy or you're you get a guy for one year so on that i could see that with the prospects they might not be like elite prospects because you don't you're not getting that much for him um and then the money i i anticipate the money is probably contingent on him not opting out because he's only being owed 35 million this year. Let's say he opts out this year. The, the, there's no way the Rockies are giving $50 million if he's only being paid 35 million. So I expect there's some contingencies on the money. If he stays around what type of money they're getting. And if he's staying around more than likely, he's not as good as they're anticipating. So I could see that's how the prospect valuation is being made. Um, and with a couple of the money and, so it's just very complicated and he's getting another opt out reportedly. Uh, so like I could see him being like, look, I want to be a free agent, but I don't really trust the market next year because of the pandemic still and all this stuff. So I want another chance, you know, so I'll give me another opt out to kind of wave them. So there's so much going on in this deal that 
It is crazy though. Like, obviously if you're the Cardinals and you're giving this much up for Nolan Arenado, like I, I would do that in a heartbeat, but I could, I, I could see how they got to where their, the valuations are. And I, if I'm the Rockies, I don't like, it's crazy. I, Arenado would have to be busting his way out or something for me to make this deal. I don't get it at all. And there's some reports about them. Oh, they're freeing up movie money to, to, sign Trevor story, but why would Trevor story want to sign after no one there now is just like busting his way out. Who's there's nobody left. Yeah. I mean, the Rockies are a complete disaster right now. They, and, and this is really, really bad for them. This is a total steal for St. Louis. They're getting without question, one of the best players in major league baseball right now, not just offensively, a guy who can give you 40 home runs every year. And it's not just a Coors Field thing. He's going to crush the ball at Bush stadium. He's a very, very good major league hitter, but he might be the best defensive third baseman uh, in a very long time in baseball, eight gold gloves. Not that that's necessarily the, the pinnacle. Obviously baseball writers are not always the brightest people in the world, but he passes the eye test as well. He's a phenomenal athlete at third base. He is, I, I'm very fortunate to see him as much as I have in person the last couple of years going to so many Rockies games. And the guy wants to win. He has been so pissed off with the Rockies that they've had some competent teams here in the mid to late 20 teens, 2017 and 2018 back-to-back playoff appearances. But when they were building a core there with him and Story and Blackman, they didn't do those little extra moves that they needed to put it over the top and to compete with the team like the Dodgers in this last half decade to win the division. Now they're in no man's land, the division. The Dodgers are the defending World Series champions. They're in great shape. And hey, there's a team in San Diego that's pretty damn good too that could very much be competing for a World Series title this year. So where does that leave the Rockies? They've got no chance of winning the division. They've really got no chance of finishing second in the division. And uh, they've messed up a relationship with one of their all-time great players in Nolan Arenado. Now he goes to St. Louis. Their corner infield is phenomenal with the Cardinals now with Goldschmidt and Arenado. And they are the front runners to win the division. And I expect Nolan Arenado is going to play hungry. He wants to be back in the postseason. That was his biggest, probably the biggest thing that irritated him in his time here in Denver is he was crushing the ball and he didn't always have all the help around him. Ownership wasn't really committed to doing that next step. To also be maybe spending $50 million, sending that to St. Louis, it's pretty crazy. Even if Nolan does just one year in St. Louis, opts out, moves on to something else, this is a no-brainer for the Cardinals. They instantly compete for a division title, and if you get into the playoffs, you're in the running for a World Series. So it sucks. This is the worst possible thing. I've loved watching Nolan these last few years. I, I didn't want him to leave Denver because I enjoy seeing him play. I definitely did not want to see him go to St. Louis and it makes things a lot harder for the Cubs. You just, you look back on this off season now, especially after getting jocked today. And I just can't help but think, man, this would be so much better if you was still around. If Darvish was in the rotation, this is a different story. And you're talking about Cubs and Cardinals going head to head for a division title. This move today, the Cardinals are the front runners and now the Cubs have to find a way to catch up to them. Yeah, definitely. 100% agree with you. Uh, Cardinals are the front runners. Cubs are a little bit away. If they had you, you could probably make an argument to possibly be neck yeah. and neck. But now the Cubs got to play catch up again. Like before this trade with Jock, I thought they were kind of even uh, with possibly the Brewers maybe being a little bit ahead, but Cardinals jumped up. Uh, it's funny, you know, you're talking about the Rockies and him not getting help, but that's because they spent all their money on the bullpen. They're spending with ridiculous and Ian Desmond. 
But uh, yeah, if you're the Cardinals, this is to me a, a no doubt trade. You have you like you make this trade and they probably negotiate getting some of that money because you know they're a little bit afraid of being on the hook for Nolan's big contract but I like what before I wasn't trying to excuse like the deal from Colorado I'm just trying to come up with a ways where I, I feel like I can understand this valuation kind of making sense but Cardinals this is a great trade for the Cardinals um depending on who's going like I said we should hold off to see the actual name yeah. and if you're a Colorado Rockies fan uh, it's a bad day. It's a very bad day, yeah. to be honest. It's probably almost worse than you, uh, Darvish, Dave, for the few because there's no future to me in Colorado right now, and it's disappointing because they had they've had so many good players. They've had so many good players. Tulowitzki, Carlos Gonzalez. Uh, they have Trevor Story now. They had uh, you know, Arenado. They had Matt Holiday is another good name. Uh, they've had so many good players and they have not been able to do anything to supplement them, as you mentioned, and put together real consistent winning teams, which they should have had for like a five, six year period with those great names they had. And that is horrifying. And I hope it doesn't happen with the Cubs. <laughs> it, I mean, it's really embarrassing here for, for Rockies fans. And, and this is going to piss off a lot of Rockies fans too, because it's just another gut punch, another superstar player. Um, and as amazing as Tulo was in the world series run that they had, Nolan is just a whole nother level. He didn't get that world series run, but not because of his fault. He is absolutely revered in this town. Now, some Rockies fans are distracting themselves because they're also Broncos fans and they're convinced that Deshaun Watson's and coming Tebow to Denver fans. next year. Oh yeah. And everybody loves Tebow here. I'm, I'm the only Jay Cutler fan left in this town uh, in a town that loves Tim Tebow, but it, it's really bad too, because the Rockies also, they're swimming in cash and they're acting like they're a team that doesn't have money. Uh, we're about two weeks away from three major structures opening across the street from Coors Field. This might sound familiar to some Cubs fans. High-end hotel, high-end luxury condos, uh, office space as well, directly across the street from Coors Field opening this year. Multi-million dollars in revenue generation for the Rockies that has nothing to do with selling tickets. As for selling tickets, they're top seven in major leagues in attendance the last couple of years. They draw really well in a 50,000-seat ballpark. Yes, their TV contract sucks, but they're making a lot of money. To get rid of a franchise, face of the, of the organization type player, in a, in a, what's, what's just a, it's not like they're getting big time prospects back. They're getting no top eight prospects from the Cardinals here. It's a real slap in the face. And I, I think it's going to be tough for Rockies fans who, to be frank, have not put up with some very good baseball in this town in the last 25 years overall. Yeah, for you know, for the Cardinals, they're giving up so little. It's like they went out and signed Arenado to a a big free agent deal. Ultimately, they're giving up so little in in uh, player return. It's almost entirely financial on their part, and, they, and it's like they went out and signed that big free agent. It's uh, it's it's difficult to see the Rockies give up their star player for so little. It's difficult to see the Cardinals get that star player for so little. And as we've been talking about for the last twenty minutes, it, it drastically alters the balance of power in the NL central. So you, you, all, all you can do is hope that those career splits for Arenado home and away, which are fairly pronounced. So he loses a good uh, 140 points off his slugging between home and away for his career. You just hope that those become even more pronounced uh, away from Coors field and that he isn't quite the hitter with the Cardinals that he was with the Rockies. But as you said, the glove is unimpeachable. He's easily one of the best defensive infielders of the last 20, 30 years. 
and he makes that team that much better. It's it's a little bit of a net loss and gain because there's um, because uh, Carpenter is probably on his last legs, but yeah, it, it makes them a lot better. It's difficult to see, and all you can do is hope that um, a lot of that a previously very talented ball player just declines a little bit as he comes out of a, a prime hitting environment and gets a little bit older. And that's not a bet I would want to make personally is betting on a good player getting worse. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's more we can say about Nolan. It's just a kind of a disappointing uh, situation for the end yeah. of the day after Jack opened it. And, and while we're talking about the Rockies, a former Rocky announces his retirement today. Uh, he's been with a couple of teams in his 12 year major league career, the Mets, the nationals, the Rockies and the Chicago Cubs. Uh, one of the, top 10 maybe top five most hated major leaguers in randall j sanders life of course we're talking about daniel murphy he's hangs it up a three-time all-star 296 career hitter he's had enough uh, randall what do you have to say about daniel murphy calling it quits in the majors uh well the first things that come to mind i'm gonna not vocalize because this is a family-oriented podcast um of everything that one could say about Daniel Murphy, certain comments he made, uh, the two things that'll stand out for me most on the field were the Cubs running into him as a buzzsaw in the 2015 National League Championship Series, him with the Mets, and having one of the great postseason runs of a hitter. Uh, it seemed like even prime Jake Arrieta at the end of 2015 couldn't get him out. And I'll also remember him coming to the Cubs and he's, to me, the, the face, the poster child of that 2018 season that ended in disappointment. Um, and they, they acquired him as a, a waiver deal, one of the last waiver deals in Cubs history, in fact, as the, the waiver trades were removed in the following season. He's, to me, emblematic of that 2018 season where the Cubs had a, a big division lead and simply could not be one game better than the Milwaukee Brewers. He's, he's the poster child for that collapse in my head. Uh, so I don't have a whole lot to say about Daniel Murphy that is positive other than uh, adios and uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. He didn't do much here in Denver the two years after leaving Chicago, uh, hit 16 home runs his first year, had an injury that ended that season, and last year in the COVID-shortened year, ended up getting replaced by Nolan Arenado's cousin, Josh Fuentes, at first base at the end of the year. So uh, it kind of ended a little bit quietly for Daniel Murphy, but a 12-year major league career, and that performance in the 2015 NLCS against the Cubs, home run after home run, one of the all-time Cubs killers in postseason, but he calls it a career after 12 years. All right, a couple more things before we bring things home today. We had some listeners of the podcast here who said they like the random trivia. They want a little bit more random trivia, so we're going to do one here tonight, and I pulled one out sort of in honor of Jock Peterson and only with regards to the fact that his first season in the major leagues was 2014. So I want to take a look at the Chicago Cubs that year. And uh, I got a couple of trivia questions for you both. No cheating, no pulling up baseball reference. I see Randall getting aggressive there on the keyboard. This is doing the best you can. And for people listening at home that maybe are trying to get these questions right as well, I don't necessarily expect you to know the answer to these. Some of these are sort of intentionally obtuse questions, but 
what I do like about the process is sort of sounding out your answers because that leads to some really interesting names, memories, and things that pop up. So my question to you, Jeremy and Randall, is as you're thinking through your answer, if you want to vocalize it, I think that's a good thing because it's going to bring up some names that we remember. Randall's giving me a finger here. What, what, what's going on? Uh, just real quick, I'd like it on the record. In front of me right now is The Rundown written by uh, one Ronan O'Shea. It's got some odd stains on it off to the side. I try and steer clear of those. I, I would like it uh, in the interest of full disclosure. I do have baseball reference open in a different tab, but in front of me right down is the rundown. So these spurious allegations on the part of Ronan are largely unfounded. And I just wanted to get that on the record before we begin. And if we're putting things on the record, then I need to put this on the record. This whole random trivia started in the COVID era uh, working from home, I got a little bit more flexibility to uh, annoy Randall and Jeremy over the course of the day. So one of the things that I started doing to pass the time is just baseball reference random Cubs teams from our timeline, roughly the mid-90s until today, and just pull up, hey, what can you tell me about this year's team? Now, Jeremy's a team player. Every time I send these questions, which I send via voice memo, Jeremy replies with a voice memo. Randall refuses to send a voice memo back. He refuses to participate. He types in his answer. Well, you have to answer vocalizing here. And I want to say there's only two people that don't answer the questions that I send via voice memo. You and Connor O'Shea, big fan of the podcast Ooh, a here. Call out to Connor. Yeah, Connor O'Shea. He will not send me back an answer via voice memo. I do a little bit of Simpsons trivia with his daughter. She sends me back voice memos. Randall I'd and Connor. I'd like to point out that's your brother and your niece. <laughs> yes, my brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're cool like that. We, we do Simpsons trivia. Randall, so we're putting you on the spot here. But we're going to go back to 2014. Jack Peterson's first year in the majors. 2014 season for the Cubs was the year before it got super fun. But if you remember, by the end of that year, Soler was up. Javi Baez was up. Jake was around. Kyle was around. There were a lot of the pieces of that 2015 and on run there. Team finished 73 and 89 under future White Sox manager Rick Renteria. But I got a couple of questions for you, and most of them are offensive in nature, or as Randall would say, offensive in nature. Anthony Rizzo led the 2014 Cubs with 32 home runs. No real surprise there. Who finished second on the team with 16 home runs? 2014 Cubs, Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot first. Wow, putting me on the spot right away. So second on the 2014 Cubs, my first thought I don't think is accurate because I was going to, and here's a name, Nate Sheerholtz, but I don't I think Nate Sheerholtz is more of a 2013 guy. And then he kind of stunk in 2014. Like he had a big 13, not as good of a 14, if I'm recalling that. So who would be in 2014? I'm just going to work around the diamond. Obviously he had Castro. Um, third base was just the whole mess of guys in 2014 i'm thinking um i feel like it's gotta be would it be coglin did he come up with some big homers like he kind of took over late in the season uh coglin or wellington castillo i'm gonna go with chris coglin chris coglin okay randall j sanders who finished second on the 2014 cubs and home runs behind anthony rizzo you know, Jeremy, with two really good guesses that came to mind for me as well, Sheerholtz and Coglin. Coglin's a great guess that uh, I would not have come up with. I'm not even sure he was on the team in 2014, but my guess is going to be uh, Luis Valbuena. Uh, wow. The late, the wow. Late, 
the late great Luis Valbuena, who sadly passed away some years ago. So that is my guess as to the That's answer to your question. He definitely was on the team in 2014. And we got a winner here. Randall Valbuena. With 16 home runs on the 2014 Chicago I, Cubs, yeah. Randall J. Sanders correctly selects the late great Luis Valbuena. 16 bombs, 51 driven in. Had a great year, 250, 341, 435, and he finished second that year. A couple names that you and mentioned, Jeremy. And then they traded him for Fowler, just to mention And that. then that's, they traded him for Fowler. That's how I knew yeah. he definitely was on 14, because they traded him uh, for Fowler true, for 15. A true Cub hero to the end. All all the Rockies references in this pod tonight. A couple of the names you mentioned there, Nate Scherholtz was on the 2014 team, played 99 games, finished with six home runs, Coglin with nine home runs. So I've got a secondary question and this is rapid fire. Do the best you can throwing you on the spot here. There were six Cubs who hit 10 or more home runs in 2014. We know two, Anthony Rizzo and Luis Valbuena, Give me the other four. Randall, you're up first this time. Javi Baez. Uh, oh, boy, this is not good. Um, go Javi Baez, Wellington Castillo, uh, uh, Starlin Castro, and oh, boy, I got Javi, Wellington, Starlin Castro, and guy, you know, I'm blanking on number four. So I'm okay. going to go with three out of four. You got, you got a couple in there. Jeremy, any of the other four? All right, so I, let me think. Uh, he I, he was going to go uh, – I was going to go, obviously, go with Wellington and Starlin. Uh, I wasn't sure if Javi got enough because, you know, and Solaire came up at the end of that year as well. Um, so more – did Mike Olt hit more than 10 home runs that year? Interesting. Uh, uh, I'm not – he might have been up there. Um, who else? Um, I'm like, trying to think. Uh, no, I'm thinking like, I see all those years run together so much. It's oh, hard yeah. to think of who was on which team, like Emilio Bonifacio, not that he would be a home run hitter. Dean or Navarro had those three homers against, I feel like he was a little bit before. Um, so I'll say Mike Olt. Give me one I'll, more. Just throw out one more name and then I'll, I'll bring it home. I'll say, uh, I'm trying to think who like was really playing second at the time before Javi. Or center field. I, I know Scott Harrison was like around, but he stunk. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking, man. All right. All right. Well, pretty good. Collectively, you guys sort of filled in the gaps, uh, missing at least one in there. So here's the rundown. 2014 Cubs, Anthony Rizzo first with 32 home runs. We mentioned Luis Valbuena, second with 16 home runs. Starlin Castro comes up third with 14 home runs. You've got the backstop, Wellington Castillo, who hit 13 home runs. Jeremy's guy, Michael, in 89 games, hit 12 home runs for the Cubs. And then the one you both missed, in just 70 games, 22-year-old Arismendi, Alcantara with 10 I was home thinking runs. him, but I didn't think he played enough games. I was going to mention him because I know Solaire and and Baez came up and they hit homers, and I was I kept thinking Alcantara, but I'm like I don't think Alcantara played enough games because for some reason I, th- I remember El- I thought Alcantara got hurt, but I might be thinking about like Darwin Barney or something. You know, I sure. would not have guessed uh, Arismendi having ten having ten home runs that season. Not a big power guy. Uh, apparently, I'm wrong, Barry. I guess he was a big power guy. 
A couple guys were close. Uh, three guys finished with nine, Chris Coglin, And then l- listen to these. Uh, as you mentioned, Randall, Javier Baez ended up with nine. Junior Lake with nine mm. home runs, the 24-year-old. And then it gets pretty rough after that. Sherholtz, Ruggiano, five home runs for Jorge Soler. Justin and then Ruggiano. Wow. A couple that's of guys who homered. Uh, also that year, Ryan Sweeney, uh, Sweeney Chris Faleka, Travis Wood hit not one, not two, but three home runs that season. Of course, the starting pitcher for the Cubs and then the other home run hitters. Some names in here. Darwin Barney, Emilio Bonifacio, Matt Caesar, and the man himself, Logan Watkins. Closing out Logan the 2014 Cubs. Yeah. So I got one I'm more trivia this. from that team for you guys. I wanted to get something pitching-wise. I was looking at you know, who had the most strikeouts on the team, who led the team in innings pitched. This is the best I could come up. There just weren't that many interesting storylines with the pitching staff that year. So here's the trivia question. 2014 Cubs, who led all Cubs relievers in strikeouts? And I'll I'll add one caveat to it. There was one pitcher, Carlos Villanueva, who was primarily in the bullpen, but he also had a handful of starts. So I excluded him from it. I'm talking the strict relief pitchers in 2014. Randall is flagging himself down here he's waving himself who you got randall i'm gonna go hector rondon as my guess in this question that was a breakout year for hector rondon 2014 okay jeremy hector rondon was also going to be my guess my number two guess was pedro strope well one of you is right and it is not randall pedro strope Finishing first in Cubs relievers in 2014 with 71 strikeouts. This is how close it was, though. There was one other name I thought you'd both maybe throw out there. Justin Grimm, second with 70 strikeouts. So just one behind Pedro Strope, uh, although he did pitch eight more innings. And then Hector Rondon in 64 games finished with 63 strikeouts and 63 and a third innings. So 2014 in honor of Jock Peterson, the new Cubs starting left fielder, a little bit of a look at the power hitting and relief strikeouts of that not so good Cubs team. Ron, I got a little trivia for you. Just, just a little small one. Since you mentioned okay. the legend himself, Logan Watkins, and I mentioned where yes. he's from, do you know what college commitment the Cubs bought him out of with $500,000 where was he committed to? Logan Watkins. I mentioned where he's from, so maybe you have an idea. Is it the University of Kansas? It's not the University of Kansas. It is a former, are they still a former Missouri Valley school? Oh. Wichita State. Wichita State, the old shockers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan Watkins, though, who was out of baseball by the end of 2014 uh, baseball and uh, and never made it back to the majors. So one other thing we want to try here. And I, again, I don't have a name for the segment here, but Randall's old box scores is what we're going to get, get going with Randall, get us started here. All right. Uh, I have been tasked this evening with providing the box score for a game that Ronan and Jeremy and myself have attended together uh, at some point in the past. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give kind of clues in sequence here one at a time. And as I give more and more clues, seeing if we can uh, kind of figure out what the game was, I'll pull things that happened in the game, a starting pitcher, someone who was in the lineup, and see if we can't uh, eventually paint a whole picture for you here of uh, when the game occurred and what was significant about it. So we've been talking a little bit about Jake Arietta here on the podcast this evening. So I'm pulling a game from the stately year of 2015. 
Mm. So we've got a game from 2015. Uh, this was a pretty early season game. Uh, I remember it being fairly chilly, and I believe the box score will support me on that. In fact, the start time for the game was 43 degrees with a, uh, a brisk breeze in from left field at 11 miles per hour, so it was a fairly chilly night. Oh, um, there's a big clue. There, there is a big clue, yeah. yes. So I, I, I think I, I know where we're think, already at. I, I think right. I know where we're at, too. You I think probably, I already know it. You can probably figure it out from here. I'll give you some of the names involved in this game for the Cubs. Um, let's see. Jason Hamill was the starting pitcher for the Chicago Cubs that evening. Uh, on the other side, and this gives it away pretty good. On the other side, the starting pitcher was one Matt Harvey. Oh, oh, yeah. oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So I thought I, we were see, doing like a Jake Arrieta start. I was a little confused at the beginning. <laughs> uh, so at this point, but now I definitely know yeah. what game it is. Especially at this since point, you may be able it. to figure it out. And so should I go ahead and give the, the full rundown here? Well, I, I, well, I mean, it's, I, I mean, should we guess? Like, uh, like, we'll see, I feel let's like, see if, let's see if you can guess the month. I said it was, early well, I, it's May, May, right? 2015. All right. It is May of 2015. Uh, I gave it away pretty much with the starting pitcher, but their opponent yeah. would have been the New York Mets, New York Mets. So we have a Mets Cubs. I tilt. mean, you said Ben Harvey. Yeah. New York Mets. We have a Mets Cubs tilt from May of 2015. Can you tell me how that game ended? That'll be the last question, and then we'll fill in some of the gaps here. Oh, it was a very low-scoring game. The Cubs got they they won it, and they won it late. They won. I want to say it was like two to one or something. They uh, I don't remember exactly how it ended though. They definitely won it late because uh, Harvey was dealing, and and Hamill was pretty much matching him. And I think Harvey, I think he might might have run out a little bit of trouble. Then they pulled him, and then the Cubs came back and won. Uh, was there? Don't don't tell me too who Randall, but was there a home run in this game? The Cubs hit. Was there I remember a home it was run cold. We were in the upper deck, behind home plate. Uh, honestly, mm-hmm. maybe seats that are now in that new upper deck club. We were close to that. There were no home runs hit. No yeah, I didn't runs. think there was a home run. It was a pretty cold game. No home runs by either team. Jeremy is correct. It was a very low scoring game. Uh, so if you are ready, I can give you the rest of it here. Or you can try and guess one or two more things. All right, I'm getting the nod to go ahead. So the Cubs did win this game two to one in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, Jeremy is correct, as he so often is, jeremyreference.com. Matt Harvey pitched seven innings of shutout baseball in that game, allowing two walks and three hits, striking out nine. Uh, Jason Hamill, uh, in fact, some might say outpitched him with eight innings of one run ball, striking out six on uh, one walk, five hits. Uh, the game was won when Chris Coglin, the attempted answer to a trivia question earlier this evening, uh, walked with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth I inning. I was going to say a walk-off walk. Giving the Cubs a 2-1 to victory in nine innings uh, against the Mets at Wrigley Field and sending a lot of very cold fans home happy that evening. Because I remember being on the L, and I think there were some shrimp alert references uh, to a walk-off walk. And for some reason... I, I wasn't sure if that was right, but when you started talking, I was like, bottom of ninth, I think this is a walk-off walk. Before, I thought there was maybe like a blue pit in the gap or something, but once you started talking, I was like, walk-off walk. So that was that, – uh, there was actually a fourth person there, I believe, at that game. Um, was Casey there? Yeah, your friend Casey, Ronan? That sounds right. I, I just mm-hmm. remember we had really good seats, upper deck, box, 
behind home plate, second or third row. I took score at the game, that game. I do remember that. Um, but you're right, the walk-off walk to end it. And what I loved most about that 2015 team was I thought that we were sort of in on a secret. I was surprised yes. at some of the attendance at the beginning of that year in April and May when it was pretty obvious the Cubs were about to be very, very good. And they got better as that season went on but there were some games in april and may where the park was still fairly empty they were still renovating the outfield bleachers but boy was it an exciting time to be around that team and by the end of that summer things were completely different in wrigleyville and they were ready to roll then for the next six years or so so those are fun times i got really good memories of that 2015 team but just feeling like we were in on something before everybody else came around that this team wasn't just good but very very good and obviously they ended up in the final four I was just going to mention that I, I, I thought that uh, I, my dad tickets were extremely cheap. I, I feel like I got into that game for like $10, which was ridiculous. Uh, Randall. Yes. One, one last bit here and Ronan, this, this you're going to enjoy. And I think you might take this the rest of the way. I actually have a photo of my ticket from that night uh, in front of me right now. We were in aisle. And again, I think you will appreciate this very much for 22. Oh, Wow. Wow, four twenty-two, row one that evening. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time, and uh, the beginning of a real hot stretch there for the Cubs. Well, one last thing that we wanted to close on here: we had intentions of talking about this last week. We wrapped up the podcast, and then we all kind of had a moment of, "Oh crap, we forgot to talk about it." So we didn't want another week to go through. Just wanted to take a minute and tip the cap, so to speak, to one of the all-time greats in Major League Baseball history who passed away here in the last week. Of course, talking about one of the great home run hitters of all time, Hank Aaron. Uh, there were two stats from his career that really just blew my mind when I was looking back. Uh, obviously, we all know about all the home runs. 755 in his career stood for many, many years until Barry Bonds passed that up uh, a little over uh, 15 years ago. But two things that stood out to me, if you took away all 755 home runs, he's still in the 3,000 hit club, finished with more than 3,000 hits in his career. The other thing was for all the home runs that he hit, he ended up finishing his career with more walks, 1,402 walks drawn than strikeouts. Hank Aaron had 1,383 strikeouts in his career. He put up with so much adversity in his 22-year career in Major League Baseball, ended up one of the all-time greats, and it's just sad. It's sad for the sport when you lose a legend like that. Yeah, definitely. Hank Aaron, one of the greatest players ever, obviously hugely celebrated for being the home run king. Um, and, and to be honest, I feel if possible, a little bit underrated because I feel like people always think of Hank Aaron as just like a guy who was just like this consistent performer and he just put it up over a long period of time, but he was a great player, like a great, great player. And look, look at his numbers, look at his like age 38 season. I believe his what maybe his last or second to last season is a phenomenal season. It's one of like the best seasons of his career. It's an all time great season. He was a great player for a long time, basically his entire career, except for maybe his rookie year and his last year, he was a Hall of Fame level player. So that's just absolutely remarkable uh, how good he was for how long as he was an elite, elite player. Obviously, you mentioned all the adversity he had to deal with um, and just remarkable how those guys were able to do what they did. Him, Willie Mays, uh, you know, on the Cubs, you have Ernie Banks, just remarkable that they were able to put up with all of that. Um, and 
you know, and be phenomenal baseball players and legends and seemingly great people. So ambassadors for the game. So it's sad to lose a legend like that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a rough, a rough year for the baseball community. Just in the last month, we've lost uh, uh, Phil Niacro, Don Sutton, Tommy Lasorda. In the last year, we lost Bob Gibson, um, among others. Statistically, what is there to be said about Hank Aaron's career that hasn't already be, been said and the adversity he faced uh, playing in the era he did? One thing I'll always remember is the video of his record-breaking home run. As he's rounding third base, two guys come running onto the field, uh, ostensibly to congratulate him, and they both shake his hand. But just to imagine what might have been going through his head, knowing some of the things that were said to him playing in that era of baseball and to see two guys running out onto the field from the stands. Uh, I have to imagine those were not particularly comfortable moments for him. And thank goodness they were just there to congratulate him. Uh, that's something, that's something that always sticks out to me when I watch that video clip and a tremendous loss for the baseball community. No one seemingly ever with a bad word to say about him and just, just a, a loss for the game and for the world. And, you know, speaking of that home run in 7:15, interesting tie in there, the man on deck for that home run, none other than Dusty Baker. And the other interesting thing about that home run, Vince Scully on the call for it, and maybe one of the most iconic home run calls of all time, uh, as Aaron comes home and greets his parents once he crosses home plate, you hear uh, Vince Scully say, a black man getting a standing ovation in the heart of the deep South, just an amazing scene down there in Atlanta, a long career for Hank Aaron. He was 20 years old when he broke into major league baseball in 1954 was the MVP in 1957, but get this was a national league all-star each season, every single season from 1955 through 1975, his age 41 season with Milwaukee, and then the move down to Atlanta. Just one of the all-time greats, steady player year in and year out. And when you consider what he was dealing with, you know, other than just being a competent baseball player, but the things that he faced in playing Major League Baseball, just amazing story all around. And it just, it stinks to lose someone like that in the sport. Yeah, he's a special, special baseball player. Um, it's, it's, it's honestly, I mean, looking back on it, it's like a golden era of baseball. You look at the guys that played in that era and, and how remarkable and talented and gifted they were at playing baseball. So many got, you know, Mickey Mantle, I mentioned Willie Mays, I mentioned Dirty Banks, but like that, it's uh, remarkable. And it's sad this past year, we've lost so many, as Randall mentioned, I'm, you know, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, so many others that it's just sad, but uh, not much more you can say. Uh, he, he's just a phenomenal baseball player. I've Hank Aaron, one of the greatest of all time, an inner circle Hall of Famer. As you know, if you want to talk about the Hall of Fame, nobody got in this year. But if you want to have a small Hall of Fame and as small as you can, you can't have a Hall of Fame without Hank Aaron in it. He is in any circle of Hall of Fame. So a tip of the cap to Hank Aaron. And uh, thanks for joining us on this third edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. For Jeremy and Randall, this is Ronan. Thanks again for being with us. We'll see you again next week on Behind the Yellow Line.